good morning. Good morning, family. I'm Danny Kilgore, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I'm so excited to be speaking with you this morning. See, we are at the end of our new sermon series called Restoration. And over these last few weeks, the preaching team has shared different ways that we can, through faith, experience the restoration power of God. Now, together, we filled our hearts with the hope and with the promise that God will restore, is restoring, and has restored us to himself. So today, I will conclude this series by sharing the promise that God will restore all the orphans. Amen? So the title of my sermon this morning is A Labor of Love. A Labor of Love. I want to start with the scripture that Pastor Jeff began this series with. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to go verse 1 through 5. Now, for those of you who are either online or following along with an electronic Bible, I will be reading from the NIV version, the New International Translation. So that's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. It's easy to find because it's the very last book of the Bible. And it reads, Then I saw a new heaven, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word new in Revelation 21 and 1 is kanan. It's Greek, and it means new in quality or fresh. Another word for new is neos, meaning new in time. You know, with this in mind, one might ask, why would we need a new earth? Why was a restoration of earth necessary, and how did it begin? I mean, if you start at the end of a story, some context and some facts and details can be misplaced. And if you're like me, the questions start to pile up like bricks on a wall. And it's only natural to want the backstory. So I want to start today with telling the backstory of restoration. See, the backstory of any situation is so critical in understanding how an event ended. You know, when I think about the backstory telling, I picture two close friends sitting down with each other. 
While one friend listens attentively, the other in her most expressive and animated ways shares all the details of how it all started. You know, sharing the good, the bad, and the in-between. You know, if the story is compelling enough, the listener might offer her reflections and her heartfelt feedback. <laughs> you know, when I was a middle school teacher, I often heard many backstories in my day. <laughs> you know, in the South, students would always begin their backstory recollection with this phrase, see what had happened was. <laughs> Anytime a student would start their account with what had happened was, oh, I knew I was in for a doozy. Mostly full of exaggerations and tall tales. But today's story is different. We aren't talking about how you kicked the ball through the science lab and broke the window. We aren't sharing about how you avoided that accident on 101. You're not retelling how you ended up hitchhiking after running out of gas in the desert. You aren't sharing how you happened upon the engagement ring in your partner's jacket pocket. No, this story is deeper than that. See, this is the backstory of our road to God's restoration plan for the earth. This is the story of God's labor of love. You see, in the beginning, when God created the earth, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, lived in paradise. See, the Garden of Eden would have been climactic paradise that needed no rain because it was watered by a mist coming up from the ground, as said in Genesis 2 and 6. There would be no storms or harmful natural occurrences. Everything about God's creations would have been perfect. I mean, after all, he proclaimed it to be very good at the end of the sixth day in Genesis 1.31. What God says is very good cannot have any flaws whatsoever. Therefore, the world in which Adam and Eve lived in would have been the perfect temperature, the perfect humidity, a world without pests, diseases, squash, rice, you know, anything that would distract from their, their enjoyment of knowing God in a perfect, undiluted way. <laughs> See, Adam and Eve lived a life of blissful innocence. They never sinned, therefore they had no guilt and no shame. This was the life God intended it to be. But sadly, it didn't last. See, Adam and Eve gave into temptation and committed the first of many sins for humankind. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, Adam and Eve's sin caused all humankind to be separated from God. We no longer were able to live in community with God because sin kept us from doing so. But their sin didn't just affect humans. It affected all the earth and everything that inhabited it. 
But here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, we learn that God had a plan. He planned to send his son to redeem his children when the set time had fully come. To restore our broken relationship with him through his son. But the fall happened in Genesis. Christ didn't come until many books later. So it begs the question, why didn't God just send Jesus to the earth to die right after Adam and Eve sinned? Why did God wait all that time in between Adam and Eve and the cross? You know, family, from studying God's word, I discovered a profound truth about God. One that I could immediately resonate with. So God didn't send Jesus to earth to die right after Adam and Eve sinned because, you ready? He didn't want to. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Just trying to understand what God has revealed is difficult enough. It would be presumptive to try to understand what he has not shown. I mean, I admit, I don't know why God designed his plan the way he did. But I do know that his plan is perfect. Now, having said this, if I had to guess, I would suggest that the reason is that God knew at that very moment the cost of restoring the earth. He knew the cost of restoration for the earth. Okay, so sometimes... When I'm on my way to church, I like to stop by the Starbucks near my house. Now, it's not because the coffee is all that great. It's not because I don't have time to make it at home and I can't drink it on the way here. No, I choose it because it's quiet there. It's not many people in the, in the parking lot. And as a result, I become acquainted with the staff there. They know my name. I know their name. You know, like, everybody wants to go where everybody knows. There you go. Cheers. (laughs) I see it as ministry. That if no one else comes in smiling or says thank you or offers a compliment, shows them patience and grace, maybe, just maybe, they'll remember the lady with the clear face mask or the sparkly mask. You know, one of my most recent coffee runs, though, I pulled into the lot and saw rows and rows of these. Yes. I didn't even know. I I was confused. Where did all these vintage cars come from? You know, my ordinarily quiet parking lot was now filled with leather vest-wearing people, Crowded with vintage cars, trucks, high-speed cars, and motorcycles. And here's the worst part. My sweet little Starbucks staff, they were not friendly smiling baristas, but frantic, coffee-throwing, umpire-sounding workers yelling names of people who either forgot what they ordered or forgot their name. (laughs) My ministry moment (laughs) was not going how I had planned. You know, though I wasn't able to have my usual coffee experience, (laughs) I did learn something. See, as I waited for my coffee, I spoke to one of the owners of the cars on display. And as I talked, I learned some pretty interesting facts. He said that most folks out there like him don't do it for the money. He said that 
When restoring an old car, you usually put more time and money into it than you get out. He said, these cars enthusiasts like will take a rusted old clunker. And when they are finished, it is better than it was when it rolled off the assembly line 30, 40, 50 years prior. The paint is better. The interior is better. It's even mechanically superior to the original factory features. It's the same car as from when it was newly built, just better. My fellow coffee drinker said this. He said, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into restoring these cars. I could easily buy a new one, but what's the fun in that? He said, I love cars, and that's enough cost-benefit for me. Family, to me, that's God's goal for restoring this broken world. In place of what we see now, we will see a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be better than the original. See, God knew the cost of restoration, but yet he pursued it anyways. See, Genesis 3.15 says, God spoke to Satan in the form of serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the beginning of God's promise to redeem and restore that which had been broken. You see, Satan thought he disabled the bruised heel, Jesus on the cross. But the resurrection fatally wounded, bruised his head, Satan's power. There was a cost of restoration And that cost was the life of God's only son. But God was willing to put more in than he knew he would receive in return because he loved his creation. You know, N.T. Wright, one of the world's leading Bible scholars, writes in his book, Simply Christian, you are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. See, Wright shared that true restoration happens through our participation with Christ. This is why all the work we do in the present matters. By following Christ's example of living, we give people a glimpse of how things are supposed to be. We are foreshadowing God's ultimate work of restoration when he will indeed make all things new and better than we can imagine. It's beautiful, right? But in the same sense, we sit in a not always comfortable place, holding the weight and the weight for restoration. You know, at the beginning of this series, Pastor Jeff introduced this biblical concept of restoration, the now and the not yet. 
Jeff shared that this concept holds that we are actively taking part in the kingdom of God, although the kingdom will not reach its full expression until sometime in the future. We are now restored, but we do not yet see the earth's entire complete restoration. You know, as believers, we are caught in the middle of this central tension. I have been restored. I am being restored. I will be restored. But which is it? Can it be all of them? Why do I already have every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3, and yet, not need, to, and yet need to keep being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, 18? How can I have died to sin, as Romans 6, 2 says, and yet find that sin living in me still keeps doing bad things, as Romans 7:20 says? How much is now and how much not yet? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 says, and then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. You know, if I can confess, this series came when I was experiencing the most difficult moments of this concept of now and not yet. See, I had experienced so many devastations and disappointments that hope of receiving restoration seemed bleak. But yet God provided me with another opportunity to hope again. Though I was incredibly reluctant to have hope, the Holy Spirit compelled me to expect more. I heard God saying, trust me, I'm doing a new thing. And so I did. And everything seemed to be precisely what he said, but then things took a turn, and what I hoped for didn't come to pass. It was then I felt the weight, the heaviness of the hope of restoration, the confusion behind what God said and what was physically being revealed paralyzed me. The anxiety of wondering when, God, when will this pain of constant disappointment end? If you promise the new thing, how long must we wait to see it come to pass? Do you want us to give up? Is your word true as you state? I know you're a faithful God. I've seen you do it for others, but when, God? When will I see it happen in my life? When will I see this new thing you promised me? You know, family, in those moments, I have to, as David did, encourage myself. See, I began to pray through scripture differently. And for me at that moment, Psalm 23, 6 came to me. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, instead of saying, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, I prayed it this way. I said, Lord, I know you can do it. 
I've seen your restoration power. Do you not know the year we've experienced? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Do you not know how many tears I've cried? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Have you not seen the pain and disappointment we've experienced time after time? Surely, God, goodness and mercy will follow me. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, do you not remember the hard season of marriage we were in? Surely, goodness and mercy. Father, do you not know that this was all the savings I had that I put into this business? Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Lord, don't you remember how many times I've been to the doctor? Surely, goodness and mercy. Father, do you not know how hard I worked to get accepted into college? Surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. Lord, do you know how many babies I've said goodbye to before I ever got to say hello? Surely, surely, God, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You see, family, when you begin to pray like that, God has no choice but to speak up. God will confirm his restoration plan to you. God will remind us of his labor of love by telling us to hold on, my daughter. Hold on, dear son. I am making all things new. I know it looks like more of the same, but please don't give up on me. Trust in me just a little bit longer. I am making everything new. If you can just hold on a little tighter, if you can just dig your feet in a little deeper, if you can just grit down a little harder, you will see the world fully restored. There is hope, family, in the now and in the not yet. And I promise you that Psalm 27.3 is true when it says you can remain confident of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Don't give up on God. Jeff, hold on. Don't give up on God. Courtney, hold on. Don't give up on God. His promise is true and trustworthy. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a human that he should die, he should lie, nor the son of humans that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Family, God will do it again. Though the restoration of the earth is not yet, the restoration will come in this lifetime if you just believe in the name of Jesus. See, Revelation 21, 5 says, He 
who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want to invite you to do that. I want you to grab a piece of paper or grab your phone. And I actually want you to write that down. Type it in your phone. I am making everything new. Everything that seems like the same, you speak into it and say, "Uh uh-uh, I, God, am making everything new. You pray that prayer and see God cause walls to fall. Watch your sun shine again. Watch the praises return to your mouth. Family, if you are in a season right now where restoration seems bleak and you need God's word to wash over you, I want to invite you right now to kneel in your seat, to lower your head or do whatever you do when you pray. And I want you to pray to yourself as the band plays. Now, if you're not in that season, then I want you as a community, I want you to pray for those who need to know that God is making things new. I want you to pray for your brother, your sister, as they are praying for the faith to believe that God is restoring all the earth now and not yet. Now, if you're here and you're like, I have no clue what any of this even means, And pray this, God, reveal to me your ways. I just want everyone, wherever you are, whatever season you're in, to just pray. And after you've prayed for a little while, I invite you then to stand with the band and sing along as an act of faith and worship that you believe that God's labor of love hasn't been lost. That restoration will come to you. It will come to your family, to your community, to this church, and ultimately to this world, now and not yet. So as the band plays, And as the worship leaders sing, I invite you to take a moment to pray. And when you're ready, stand and let's worship God together.